Welcome to the For Her Empire podcast. I'm your host, Abby Ngauche. And in this podcast, we address the personal and the business issues that female entrepreneurs face in their day-to-day lives. My guest today is the lovely Crystal Heitzma. Did I get it right? Yeah, yeah, super good. <laughs> Hi, Crystal. Hi. Hi. So uh, Crystal is a coach for overwhelmed moms. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about positive parenting. So. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit yeah. more about you and what exactly positive parenting is and like how is it different from regular parenting? Okay, sounds good. Um, so I'm a coach. I'm a certified life coach. I went to the life coach school. I have a degree in psychology. And ever since I was in high school, I've just loved psychology. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something about human behavior. I wanted to help people somehow. And so um, I grew up, went to school, had kids. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom for years, and then I started looking into different schooling programs and trying to decide what I wanted to do because I knew I wanted to do therapy or counseling or something. And I just happened upon um, the, po- the Life Coach School podcast, and I started listening to her work, and I started looking into her program, and I loved it. And I loved that I would be able to help people right away. I loved the model and the tools that she teaches. And so I jumped on board right away, joined, got certified. Um, I've been running my business now since March. And, um, yeah, so I homeschool my kids. I have four kids. I live in Canada. Um, so it has been a little bit of a struggle finding a balance between working and doing school and doing homeschool with them. Um, but we have gotten into a pretty good rhythm now. We're, we're both pretty good at it now, my, my kids and I. And what I really found that I loved as I was learning about it, because um, everybody kind of, as you're going through certification, you learn all the different kinds of things. Like we learned about weight loss coaching and business coaching and health coaching and all these different avenues. And then you get to decide what you want to do. And I really love working with overwhelmed moms because that's what I was at. Like I feel so much more empowered and so much more freedom now. But years ago, that's exactly how I felt. And I just felt like there wasn't a lot of help for people in that position. That there's a lot of help if you're really struggling, you know, with postpartum depression or anxiety or something clinical to get you up to kind of like a baseline. But there wasn't a lot of help like once you were just at that low baseline for mental wellness. And so I just wanted to be that space for moms where they wanted something a little bit more. Like they were already at a pretty good baseline, but they wanted some mental wellness. So that's kind of what I work on and teach. And the reason I love positive parenting, there's lots of different names for it, conscious parenting or intentional parenting. Um, Everybody calls it different names. But essentially, I think what it is, is when you um, have that clear mind and that mindset shift and not feeling so overwhelmed and frustrated and angry all the time, I think it's really just the way that every parent naturally would parent if they were feeling like loving and connected to their kids and empowered and confident and all of those things, that it would just be the natural form of parenting that would come from it. So the reason that I like it so much is that um, parents will come to me with this like goal, like they're here right now and they're kind of, you know, feeling overwhelmed and frustrated and angry. And what they want is to create a space where their kids, no matter what their age are, that they'll be able to come back and feel confident and feel safe and feel like their parents are a safe space. Yeah. But their current parenting isn't very indicative of that. Like it's very shame-based and frustrated and angry. And so it's like kind of bridging the gap between where they are and where they want to be because they're kind of like, it's like they're walking down the wrong road. That's not going to take them to the end goal that they want. Mm. And so I try to help shift them to get them on the road that they want to be on and to feel like that power in themselves and in their parenting. 
So I do work with a lot of mom entrepreneurs, but I also work with people with weight loss. I, I just have the blanket overall niche of overwhelmed moms, but then I just coach them on whatever comes up for them. Oh, I, I like the part where you said that um, as a parent, you, you sort of want to be a kid's um, safe space. You want that no matter what they do, they do wrong or whatever goes wrong, they can still come to you and tell you about it. I mean, sure you'll be disappointed, but at least they can open up to you. Except mm-hmm. that's the end goal, but like from where you are to where that's going to happen, you're not on the right path. You're, you're completely different road. It's like, yeah. It's just, I had, a, I had a conversation with my mom on today's Tuesday, on Sunday, when I was trying to tell her that I hated the course I was doing and that I couldn't tell her that because I was afraid she would be disappointed in me. And then she was like, why don't you just tell me? she's like um she felt that i did not trust her enough to tell her that i hated this course i was like yeah but like at that point now i'm older you're a human being i i don't think everything you say has absolute truth anymore like and now you can say something i'll be like huh that's not right so this is not quite right there but at that point i could not I took your word as like the gospel truth. Like there is no way you could possibly be wrong. Like she was right. So it's like, if I could not do this course, then I was a disappointment. So how at that point should I tell you that? Yeah, I think that that's kind of, um, as we're growing up, our parents are kind of um, in this position above us and we're kind of below. And that's kind of how it's supposed to be because we're supposed to be feeling safe and secure, like they're taking care of us and they know what they're doing. And that's emotionally and developmentally what's supposed to be happening. And so we love that. But then as we age, we kind of start to get our own thoughts and our own opinions and become, you know, self-identify. And then we grow into this kind of side-by-side position. And it's kind of, it can be sometimes tricky for parents to know how they're supposed to be in that position and for the kids to know how to react in that position. But that usually happens somewhere around the ages of like, I would say 17 to 25, probably an average of 20. But to get to that, like where you're more equals, like you can take each other's opinion and talk to each other about things and have open communication and a good connection and relationship, but it's not the same. Like you're not looking to them for approval. You have that kind of identity for your own self. Oh yeah. I left him at 16. <laughs> I left him at 16, like moved to a completely different country. So you want to, yeah, but just to pay my school fees and all my bills. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like, oh my God. If I drop out of this course right now, who's paying the school fees for this? Me? Yeah. <sighs> so I just stayed in the end field. Yeah. <laughs> and field and field and field and field and field. I had like a 2.0 GPA. <laughs> yeah, I think that a lot of people feel that way. They feel like they just have to always be like doing what they feel like their parents need them to do. And I will, I have coached quite a few um non-moms, like younger than moms that feel that way, like that they're kind of in this position within their schooling or their career because that's what their parents expected of them. But we all come to a point eventually where we have to get that that identity for ourselves. We have to figure out what we like and what we don't like. We have to learn our own voice. We have to be confident in who we are. And so that's a lot of what I teach also. I have these monthly girls nights that I do 
this week I'm, I'm doing one in a couple of days and it's on um, self-confidence. And so it's really just building that internal belief of ourself and not worrying so much about what other people think about us or how they treat us or how they act, that that's them and they can, they can be them, that's fine. But uh, just trying to be true to who we really are deep down instead of being true to who we feel like people want yeah, us to be. Yeah, yeah, And um, have you, let's hold, hold on, first this question, like your current um, clients, the, the mothers of, of, of our old moms you work with, um, do they ever feel like they want their kid to like stop being a kid and be an adult so I can talk to you and just like tell you my problems and then you go back to being a child? <laughs> Does that happen? Yeah, I think that, um, I think the parents often treat their kids like they should be adults in a lot of different ways, like not just so that they can have a peer, but also you know, I have them write down like a list of like, because often our frustrations happen because of an expectation we have about our kid. So if we expect our seven-year-old to be quiet and sit still and listen and do what they're told, those are pretty unrealistic expectations for a seven-year-old child. But if we're thinking that and want that to happen, then we're going to be frustrated every time that they have a tantrum or that they don't listen to us or whatever. And so I'll have these moms write down all of their expectations in a perfect world. What would this look like? then they go back and read through them and they're like, this is pretty unrealistic. Like this is unrealistic (laughs) for an adult. Like if we wanted an adult to to, um, act this way, it would be hard for them to do yet. I want my child to act this way. So it's just um, gathering awareness around like all of our thoughts right now and all of our expectations so that they can start to shift. And so what I do is called causal coaching. So most life coaches do um, more action-based coaching where they're going to help you with accountability and help you achieve your goals and kind of push you. Um, But that's not at all what um, we teach. Um, What we teach is causal coaching. So it's trying to figure out what's going on behind your current behavior. And as you can gain awareness there, then that's where the power is. And that will just naturally shift. Your results will shift. You're, you won't need necessarily somebody to be pushing you with accountability. It's more showing them their minds. So why are they so frustrated and overwhelmed as a mom? Well, it's usually because of thoughts of, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. This is too much. I don't want to do this. I'm not a good mom, like all of these kinds of thoughts that come up that really affect us. And it's not just moms. I work with lots of women that aren't moms, but we have these expectations of ourselves, not just of others around us, right? So imagine if for ourselves, we're like, well, we always have to say the right thing. We always have to look a certain way. We always have to, you know, whatever those expectations are we have for ourselves, we have to achieve all of the goals that we set. And then we're just feeling all of this judgment and shame and guilt. And it just puts us in this negative cycle. Yeah, yeah. This expectation that at moms have, um, okay, I, I know, I know. As typically as 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 a woman, as a female, um, most of these expectations come from um, society, whether directly or indirectly. Um, the media does to a degree influence it, even if it's not very overt, and then you just end up feeling very self-conscious about your looks mm-hmm. and all. It's just a physical appearance. Um, but as, as a mom, I don't know if society really influences that or what exactly brings this, um, these expectations? I definitely think society does oh. because I think that we don't show people the negative side. 
I feel like we only show people the positive, right? We post our pictures on Instagram or on Facebook, or we share all of the lovely things happening in our life. And we're not as quick to share all of the difficulties that we're having. I think it's shifting now and people are more comfortable with sharing that side of it. But if we, for instance, follow an Instagram feed with all these beautifully curated photos of this beautiful home that's like so nicely decorated and well lit with kids that are happy and smiling and like, you know, gap clothing and like everything looks so perfect, then we're going to have that expectation that that's what their life is like all of the time. Yeah. And that's just unrealistic. Like that person's life is 50, 50, just like our life is right. They have positive and they have negative emotions, like expectations, problems, issues, just like we do. Our lives are always going to be like that. But when we're scrolling through social media, I think it's more social media that does it. And all we see is pictures of happy children with like, they don't have mud and dirt on their faces and they just look beautiful all the time. And these beautiful photos, we're going to be having this false expectation that that's what our life should be like all the time. And then we compare our worst to their best. And we're just like, well, we're failing. Like, this is awful. I'm never going to be a good mom because look at all these good moms out there. Yeah. But it's just fake, right? Like it's not, it's not like that all of the time. That's just what they're choosing to share. So it's really how we interpret it. So you can follow people like that if that's what you enjoy doing, but it's just recognizing like they're normal, they're human. They have all of the same ups and downs that we have. It's totally fine. And I don't need to compare my bad day to their perfect picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think of um, I don't know if it's online or a friend of mine says that when um, like when a woman takes like a hundred pictures, she only posts like one <laughs> online, and then the rest of the rest of her day is like the other ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. They're like, let me take pictures from all these different angles so that then I can look like the most beautiful in this picture. Yeah. And then we always see these lovely pictures and we're like, they're just always so pretty. But it's just not, it's just not reality. Just like what you said um, in like com- the commercial world with women, we see all this. <laughs> like I, I, I remember talking to someone I think she was in like a model or something. And she showed me a picture of like what they had done to her after her picture. And it was like, you know, like made her chin up like this and her cheekbones up higher and all these things. Like it wasn't even her anymore. Like it was so Photoshopped. And you can watch YouTube videos too of people doing this. You can see like videos of them, like how they Photoshop and edit it. And it's really are in the beginning is not, it's just not reality. And then we base our looks on this thing that's not even reality, right? And so I love to focus women on their inner power. Their inner power is realizing that they're beautiful, that they're amazing, that they're wonderful, that they can do anything. And then it doesn't matter. Like I rarely look in the mirror and look at what I look like or think about what I look like. Like I feel like it's more about what's inside. And when we can focus on that positive relationship with ourselves, then that's where we can have the power and then we can you know, do whatever we want in life. Yeah. Okay, so um, I know that, um, how, how do I phrase this? From social media and the society and, and, and all that expectation, that does tend to have a very um, negative influence on her because now she's constantly um, measuring herself what she's seen mm-hmm. and you never quite ever meet up. And the standards will always keep going yeah. higher and more unrealistic and there's no way you can match up. But then from the kid's side, um, what, what are the effects on the kid? Um, I think that 
if you're a mom that's feeling a lot of low self-esteem, a lot of negativity, and a lot of shame, then all of the effects are on the kids, right? Because imagine if you're feeling frustrated. Like, what does frustrated look like? Like, if I'm frustrated, I'm going to be yelling at my kids more. I'm going to be not spending as much time with them. Maybe I'm going to be, um, you know, on social media more or watching TV more. I'm not going to listen to them when they're asking me things. I'm not going to be connecting with them. That's what comes when you're feeling frustrated or feeling shame or feeling anger, right? You're not, the actions aren't going to be positive engaging. And so I think realizing like all of those have an effect on our kids and not feeling badly about it, but being like, Hey, this is where I am now. And if, like we said about those paths, if this is, if I'm not on the path that I want to be for the future, then how can I shift that? What do I need to learn? Do I need to learn more skills? Do I need to have somebody coach me? Do I need to learn my own mindset, you know, practice my own mindset shifts around those? So I think just um, recognizing where we are and then trying to shift our paths instead of feeling bad about where we are. Because I think that it's just small little changes over time. It's not going to just happen overnight. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while to make that shift. But I think that when we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, we're really going to be living in shame. And the yeah. shame cycle is that whatever comes from a feeling of shame will just create more shame. So it's trying to help your mindset around that. So, so what exactly, okay, like now the example you just gave that when you're frustrated, you might yell at your kid, you might be on your phone and you're quite distant um, from your kid. So um, ideally when you're frustrated, what should you do then? I mean, you're frustrated. It's not going to disappear just like that. You do have to do something about it. <laughs> so what yeah. do you do? Okay. So there's a couple things I tell people. One is I tell them to either number it or color it. So for instance, if it was like a green light, yellow light, red light. So red light would be like, I'm super angry, super frustrated. Like my lid is totally flipped. Don't ever take action from that space. Don't talk to your kids or try to deal with a negative behavior or do anything when you're in the red zone. Like that's like a no zone. Like you're going to go and try to calm down. Um, I'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about that in a minute. But when you're in the yellow zone, just recognizing, okay, I'm feeling a little bit agitated. So what can I do to kind of calm myself down to get in the green zone? And then the green zone is where you would want to be trying to interact with your kids. So for instance, I noticed that I'm in the red zone. My kid's totally freaking out and losing it. And I want to just start yelling at him. Yeah, Uh I will just walk away. I'll just go somewhere else. I'll just go, maybe I go into the bathroom and close the door and I just do some deep breathing for a few seconds. Maybe I take a glass of water. Maybe I splash my face. Anything that kind of um, calms you down. I like meditation. There's little 60 to 90 second meditations that you can do just to kind of calm your breathing down and calm your emotions down. And so often if we can get through that you know, 90 second emotion that comes through that so intense, then we can calm down. Then we can talk about it later because usually our kid is having the same emotional reaction. And so if he's in a red zone and I'm in a red zone, nothing good is going to come from that. We're just going to yell, right? Like there's no, it's not helpful. So just getting myself calmed down. Often I won't even talk to my kids about the behavior then. I'll talk to them about it later on that night or the next day if I feel like it's really needed. But kids often already feel that, that guilt on their own. Like when they do something wrong, say my daughter decides to throw a toy at her brother's head. That's totally happened in the past because she's mad, right? Yeah. And if, if I just wait and I just let her feel her feelings and I let her sit there with her emotions, I don't even usually have to talk to her about it afterwards because she already feels bad. She already knows that she shouldn't have. She already, you know, like eventually she's going to feel like she gets to that space of feeling sorry about it. And so the learning has already happened and I don't need to be exacerbating that by yelling and screaming at her. 
So I would say anytime you're in the red zone, go do something to kind of calm yourself down, whatever that is for you. And sometimes you can't go, you know, away for the whole evening, but you can at least get a little teaspoon of something like a few deep breaths or a meditation or something. Um, so that's one thing that I tell people. And the other one is a process we call the now feeling process. So N O W the N is naming the emotion. So you sit there and name the emotion. So maybe it's frustrated. Okay. I'm feeling frustrated, but you name it specifically. Typically we don't have a lot of emotional vocabulary. Like we could list five or 10 emotions, but not more than that. So I teach to like get more vocabulary of emotion. So you can really specifically determine, is it betrayal? Is it hurt? Is it frustrated? Anxiety? Um, you know, overwhelm, whatever that is. And then O is open up to it. So you just allow that feeling to be present. You just allow it in you. Because a lot of the um, anger comes when we are trying to resist that emotions because we don't want to feel it because it doesn't feel good. Yeah. So just sitting there and allowing it to be there, not thinking about all the things that are making you frustrated, but just feeling the feeling of frustration and just sitting with it in your body. Oh. And then the W is watch it. And watch it means just describing it. So if I were to describe it to somebody who's never felt feelings before, some <laughs> alien on another planet, yeah. well, how would I describe it? I'd be like, well, it feels kind of hot in my face. It feels like my vision's kind of blurry. feels like my head is a little bit, you know, maybe it's in my chest. So I'll ask my clients, like, where does it, what does it feel like? What color? If, if you put a color to it, where would it be in your body? And as you do this process, it typically will go up in a wave and kind of get really ste- like feeling really strong and, and it'll go down again. And I've read somewhere that said that emotions usually last 90 seconds. So they can come back in waves, but that like intensity of an emotion will usually just last 90 seconds. So if you can go somewhere and do this, this now feeling process or meditate or take some deep breaths or get a glass of water, whatever can calm you down in that moment. Because sometimes it's just that we're hungry or tired, right? Maybe we're not even checking in with ourselves and with our bodies. Like maybe we haven't eaten breakfast that morning because we were too busy. So what can I do to kind of regulate myself again, get myself into that green zone or even the green to the yellow zone, and then I can go back to my, my day. Okay. Um, something stuck out to me in the old part of, of, of the now, you're just like staying there and, and just feeling that and let that anger, that frustration just come out. Is that healthy? Actually, like, yeah, totally healthy. Or like just yell out like, ah! <laughs> yeah, I think even if it makes you want to yell, that's totally fine. If it makes you want to cry, that's totally fine. I cry way more now that I allow myself to feel feelings than before. Because before we're like, oh no, it's not good to cry. It's not good to yell. It's not good to whatever. And we don't actually feel our feelings and we bottle them up or we buffer from them, which would be like, I don't want to feel that. So I'm going to go watch Netflix and eat chocolate or whatever, right? Like I'm going to go do something else to kind of numb out. But it's, I think it's turning into an emotional adult means being able to be okay with any feeling that comes and know how to process it. So I could go into the bathroom and shut the door and like yell it with myself, but I'm not going to yell at my kid. I could go into the bathroom and cry or whatever that emotion is and however it needs to be expressed, just allowing it to be there because we're not really taught to do that or how to do that. So I think mm-hmm. it's really important to learn how to really feel our feelings um, so that we can be that space for our kids' emotions. So then we can go back and they're having a tantrum and now we're calmed down and we're back into the green zone and we can sit there and be with them. We can just say, hey, I'm here. I know you're you know, having a really hard time. You're feeling some really strong emotions. I just want you to know that I'm here for you and just sitting there and being there with them. Okay. Um, so now my, my next question is more um, personalized from 
my not my, my sister's ex, my sister's emotion. So um, when my mom gets angry, she just like goes quiet because she knows she, you know she's gonna blow up. She just goes quiet. And then she believes that she will not talk to you. She will not answer your questions because her anger might come out. So mm-hmm. that's what I understand. From my sister's perspective, she's like, she's ignoring me right now. Yeah. Yeah, so like... Because those, those actions are still coming from anger, right? That's how she, when she feels anger, she shuts down. She doesn't communicate. She's probably thinking a lot of thoughts in her mind that are angry thoughts. And she's not connecting with all the people around her. So instead, just going and like releasing that anger. Like just going and sitting with it, feeling it, you know dealing with it and then moving on with your day. Uh, okay. Would it be really, really um, weird or concerning if your mom just uh, yelling randomly <laughs> to herself alone in the washroom? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. okay. What's going on? You okay I don't know if I've ever, I don't know if I've ever gone in the bathroom and yelled. I've definitely gone in the bathroom and cried. I think that often anger is a secondary emotion. So what I mean by that is usually there's an emotion underneath it. So usually we're feeling hurt or betrayed. Um, and then we feel angry because of that feeling. So when we can sit and feel the feeling, sometimes it's not even anger. So sometimes when we sit down, we're like, oh, we're actually hurt that this person said this thing or whatever. And so just really getting clear on what that is, then releasing that feeling that is there. Because anger can sometimes be like, well, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. It's like almost the resistance to feel that feeling. Oh, yeah. I'm figuring out how to like bring to my mom that your silent treatment is to calm down your anger. It's not working out. (laughs) I think that it's really... um, There's something called, what's the term? I think it's called interpersonal synchronization. And it means as I work on something, the people in my sphere of influence are going to be affected and the people in their sphere of influence will be affected almost to a couple of degrees. And so if I decide, for instance, that it's, I want to get really healthy, start eating healthy and go on a healthy kick or whatever, then like my husband might be affected, my kids might be affected, and then their, their friends might be also. And so it'll have a positive effect kind of going out there. And so if we want other people around us to change, it's really the work that we do in ourselves. And then as people say, see that, then they're just like, oh, that's interesting. Like, oh, they're changing or they're doing something a little bit differently. I have a client right now um, who I've been dealing with for a long time, two months, maybe every week, and things are going really well for her. And people have been asking her around her, like, what's going on? Like, why are you feeling this way? What's happening? What, what are these changes that we see? And so then it's an opportunity for her to teach them that so that they're interested in those same kind of things. But um, yeah, I think that it's just really interesting that people around us usually do change. We're not doing it so that other people change. We're doing it for us and our own personal growth. But typically people around us do kind of notice that and will change because of our own example. Okay. Um, so um, how do I feel? Now, the positive parenting or the intentional parenting, does it always work? Or um, are there scenarios in which it might not quite work out? 
I think it always works, but I think that it's um, difficult for us as humans to always do it, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not going to always remember not to yell at my kids when I'm frustrated. I'm not going to always remember, oh, I'm feeling red. I need to go and calm down and then come back to the situation, right? I'm totally going to sometimes lose it on them, yeah, which is fine because I'm human, right? Nobody wants a perfect mom that is perfect all of the time because then they're going to have these unrealistic expectations of yes. what they're going to be like when they're a mom. So anyway, so I think it's, I think that's great, but, um, I think for sure, if we were able to do this hundred percent of the time, I think it would be amazing. And I think that we look at our kids and we're like, oh, well, they're still annoying and frustrating and throw tantrums, <laughs> but it doesn't mean they're not going to be a kid. It just means yeah. that we know how to deal with it better. And that when, once they're calmed down and back into their normal space again, that they'll know that you love them no matter what, that no matter if they have this angry, crazy tantrum, that you're still there for them and that you and that you love them because a lot of times after they have some crazy meltdown and blow up, then afterwards they might think like, oh, well, mom doesn't, doesn't like me or mommy, doesn't love me anymore or whatever because mommy. of her reaction. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think, I really do think it works all the time. I think it's just up to us to do that work because it is difficult. And so lots of times I won't do it. Like I won't do it properly or the right way or how I want to, but then I'll just come back to them and be like, sorry, like I was frustrated or I was hungry or whatever. You know, I'm human too. I also feel the same feelings that you do and I don't always deal with them the best. And then we just have a little do over. We're just like, let's do this again. This is how I, this is how I should have said it. This is what I wanted to say. And just apologizing and because I think that's so human, right? If we, if we don't apologize for our own behavior as parents and don't fess up to the mistakes that we make, yeah. um, it's just not human. And I want my kids to know that I am human, that I'm normal just like they are, oh. that I make mistakes just like they do, and not to have some expectation of me being this perfect person. Right. So when, when, when you come back to them to apologize for blowing up or for being really worked up and frustrated, um, what's their reaction like because you're apologizing um do they still see you as mom or as my pair i think that it softens their heart to you i think they're just like oh thanks like they're like i think that it, it builds that connection with them because they feel more accepted and they feel validated in that like because they're probably thinking well this isn't fair mom's yelling at me and i didn't do anything mm -hmm. and now they're feeling like oh okay well what she said was a mistake and now she's coming back and it's not like we always want to be doing negative things like i read in one book that said five positives for every one negative so if you're constantly negative and negative and negative and then apologizing afterwards it's not going to build the kind of connection you want yeah. But if you're working and trying and then every once in a while don't do it, that's fine. You're still going to be able to build and foster that connection. But I don't think that it makes it so that you're a peer. I think it makes it so that you're human and so that they feel that connection with you and um, that they know that learning and mistakes are part of life because we have this fixed mindset where we don't believe in failure. We don't try anything because we don't want to fail, yeah. right? We don't want to feel discomfort when it comes to failure. This comes up in business and parenting and weight loss and anything you could, you could bring to the table. Yeah. And so when we get okay with discomfort of failure, like I know I'm going to try this new way of parenting. I'm probably going to fail a lot, but I'm okay with that. Then that teaches our kids about failure too. Like failure is totally okay. It's part of our process. It's part of our journey. Everybody deals with it. It's uncomfortable for sure, but it's okay and I can handle it, then I think that teaches them 
what they need to know in life too. So I think it's, I think it's the best example you could be. Okay. Okay. So now you've mentioned like writing down the different expectations you have for your kid and like looking at it to see if you're, if that's really realistic. And you've talked mm-hmm. about the no technique and then the red lights, green lights, yellow lights. Um, are mm-hmm. there any um, activities that parents could actually do with the kids directly? Like, I guess, one-on-one? Because most of the things you do on your own. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's more just to regulate yourself so that you can show up as the role model that you want to show up as. Mm -hmm. But as far as like connecting with your kids, there's tons that you could do. Um, A few that I'll mention is children usually need a lot more physical affection than we give them. So um, I usually encourage them to try to give them physical affection eight times a day. So give them a hug, snuggle with them. My boys love wrestling. So like wrestling with them, which I don't like at all, but they just think that it's the best. So anything that kind of that physical thing that they need them to fill their cup. Um, so trying to do that several times a day. Um, another one would be having open conversations with them. So when they're talking to you about something, not just like zoning out, but like actually asking them open-ended questions like, Oh, so how did it go at school a day? They're like, Oh, I don't know. And I'm like, Oh, well, I know that you had this project coming up. How did you feel about how that went? Or, you know, were you frustrated about this mark that you got on something like, just having open conversations with them and really um, spending time listening to whatever it is, whatever they want to talk about. Cause that would be the next thing is being interested in their interests. So even if they want to talk about something that doesn't interest you at all, <laughs> get interested in it, yeah, learn like, about it. Put a breath face on. Yeah. And ask questions. Yeah, totally. And like, um, I also go on dates with my kids. So this would be like one-on-one time. Cause when you have four kids or more or less, it's hard to get that one-on-one time with them. So we carve out that time um, to, to take them on dates. So I, sometimes my husband and I can both take them like together, or sometimes it's just one of us and we'll take one of the kids and we'll just go do something with them. And how the date usually starts out is I'll ask them like, how are things going with you? What are some things that are going really well? What are some things you're worried about? You know, just to have that really great conversation. And then we go do something really fun. And I just try to be really interested and engaged and connected with what they're saying and not just like zone out. Cause it's easy to zone out when your kid's like talking about Pokemon, right? You're just like, I don't want to hear about Pokemon or whatever, right? But if you you get really interested in it and like, oh yeah, that does sound really cool. Like, tell me more about that. I don't know anything about Pokemon. I'm just (laughs) flying up along with it. I'm like, tell me more about that Pikachu character that you love so much. What do you like about him? What's his power? Anyways, um, that would be another one. And lastly, but probably my favorite is reading to them. Reading to them is super good for their own literacy. They'll usually end up being kids who love books and love reading. They'll usually end up being kids who love learning and know that they can go to books for learning. Mm-hmm. And it actually helps with um, that, that physical literacy. So they'll be able to uh, read better. They'll be able to know some more spelling, no more grammar. There's all of these great sides of it, but that's not even why we do it. We do it for the connection so that they can... Um, be connected with you and have that engaging experience with you. So we'll read a book aloud as a family. We'll read really great books, like ones that we all enjoy together. And I love it because they'll see like, if I were reading a sad story, like I'll cry while I'm reading and they'll turn to me and be like, what? Like what? And I'm like, well, this part, like, don't you feel this? And they're kind of like, oh, I didn't even, like I was reading, I was reading the boy who harnessed the wind to them. 
was totally crying by the end. I'm just like crying and reading. And they're like, they didn't notice for a minute or two. And then they turned and were like, are you okay? And I'm like, this is just such a good part. Like, don't you feel so inspired to change? And so I think them like having that connection with you and that time with you is so great. And so I would encourage anybody in any family to read more all of the time. Even if your kid's public in public school, just like find a book that you can read out loud with them and read out loud with them before they go to bed or, you know, while everybody's eating dinner or whatever. But yeah, that's one of my favorite connection tips. Um, okay, I'm still stuck on one part, the part where you said, um, go on dates with them. Does it have to be like yeah. super formal, like get dressed, you're going out to like a restaurant or something or just no. be- <laughs> so I'm wondering like, It totally doesn't. Um, It depends what stage of life we're in. Like when we were living in another city on the other side of Canada and we hadn't been there before, there was so much exploring to do. So usually it would be going out and exploring. We're living in the middle of the country right now, 10 minutes outside of a town that's like only a couple thousand people. Like it's really small. And so there's not a lot of activities we can do. So lots of times we'll just go on a walk maybe we'll go get a treat and go on a walk. Maybe we'll just go to a fun store. Like there's like an adventure outdoor, like an outdoorsy store. My kids love outdoorsy stuff. So we'll just go like walk around and look at like the bows or the kayaks or whatever they're selling. So it really doesn't matter what the activity is. It's Mm -hmm. the spending time together. So lots of times like, um, pre-COVID when restaurants were open, I would just take my kids to a cafe and we would just like each get a snack or each get an herbal tea and we would just sit there and chat for an hour and that's it. Sometimes we go to the library, we'd read a couple books together. Like it can be super chill. It doesn't have to be something really, really hardcore and really well thought out or planned. It's more about spending time with them and listening and conversing than like doing something really awesome. I would I don't think I've ever taken any of them to like a fancy restaurant on our date ever. <laughs> you said dates. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. I call them dates because it's like one on that one on one time. So we say like date with mom and dad. But yeah, it's really they're usually pretty relaxed. Even sometimes I'll just do it at the house. I'll put all the other kids to bed and I'll just let one of them stay up late and we'll just play some games. We'll eat some snacks. Maybe we'll watch a movie together or chat. Um, And they love having that special time, even if it's only at the house. Oh, you just answered my second question. I wanted to ask if the, um, the dates you, you're doing it with like maybe two or three of them or just one and one. Usually just one on one. My two youngest kids love being together all the time. They just love each other. So sometimes they'll invite each other on their dates. So it'll be with just one of them. Like my youngest, I have three boys and then a girl. So my youngest girl, as she's preparing for her date, will just be like, oh, can he come? Like, I really want him to come. And so then sometimes they will have two of them. But typically it's just one on one, just so we can have that conversation time. But it doesn't have to be. Yeah, because now I'm wondering, would, if we did one-on-one, would the other kids feel left out? Or uh, like, tomorrow we are going out. Yeah, they don't feel left out because they're so excited for their time. They know oh. that it'll come back around to them. So I usually do a rotation. So I took two out last week. So then the next two we have slated to go out this week. And I mean, okay. I, I didn't actually. I was busy working in the evenings. My husband took two of them out last week. And my husband and I go on weekly dates also. So it just it's a lot to try to fit in when you have four kids and you're going yeah. on your own date. We go on a date every Friday night. Um, so anyway, so we kind of just fit in whenever we can. So we try to do one of them at least once a month, like so that we get all four of them done over the course of the month. Yeah. But that doesn't always happen if we're really busy. We were just moving. So we were in the middle of a move um, for a while. And so mm-hmm. we weren't doing it as regularly, but really whenever you can fit it in. 
Well, and it doesn't have to be structured. Like I said, it can be whatever, whatever works for you. It doesn't have to cost any money. It can be, it can be nothing. You can just go on a walk together. Like it doesn't have to be something crazy. Okay. And uh, are there activities that um, like um, the moms, uh, are there activities that she could do with her partner? Like I mean, the whole um, red light, green light thing. Uh, maybe someone asking yeah. her, like, what color are you right now? Okay, I guess if you're red, I want yeah. you're like, I will kill you right now. <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes I'll just be like, I'm red. Like, and then I'm going to go. Or my husband will come home. He'll usually know, like, if I've had a stressful day or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk on my own. I'm going to go in the shower. So I think just like being partners about it. Like my husband is super good at being my partner and just knowing like when I need help and what things I need help with. So we'll sit down and schedule together at the beginning of the week and I'll write down all the things I have to do. And I'm like, there's no way I can do all of this. So what can you do? And he'll be like, oh, well, I have time after meeting this day. Like, let me go grocery shopping or let me take the kids on a date. Um, He actually does stuff for my business too. So I'll give him I'll give him specific things in the business to do. So I'll be like, send out this email. He'll even craft emails for me. Like he's speaking my language. So like put it like in his own words. Like it's so funny because I'll reread it and I'll be like, is that how I really talk? It probably is. Anyways, he, yeah, he's great. He'll send people welcome emails or, you know, (laughs) to know you or yeah, it's super sweet. So he's, he's really helpful. He designed my entire website. He's never designed a website before. He just like watched all these videos and learned how to do it. <laughs> so he's pretty fabulous. So I call him my business manager. He's man- he manages my business. Um, but I do think that just um, being partners within it, like when he, when he needs a tag off, if he's red and I'm fine, I'm like, okay, go, go do something that you need to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to deal with the kids now. Mm-hmm. And being that um, support for each other is so helpful because I know a lot of people that don't have that support, right? Where their husbands feel kind of that old fashioned, like, oh, well, moms are in yeah. charge of everything. Like, because you're home with the kids, then you have to cook and you have to clean and you have to take care of the kids. And like a hundred percent of the time you're in charge of the kids. Yeah. The husband will get home from work and then he'll just go off to the gym. Like he won't even like mention it. He won't even say anything about it. Right. He just yeah. leaves. Cause he thinks that he can, you know, that he doesn't have that charge. He's not in charge of those children responsibilities. But when you're both partners, then you realize like, okay, no, I need to talk to you about this. Let's figure this out together. So I feel just as much like I could go off to the gym whenever I need to, as he does. We would just like tell each other like, oh, hey, this is what's going on. So I think it's so important to be that team for each other and, um, you know, to deal with others, uh, each other's strengths. Like my husband is really great at budgeting. I never was. So he taught me all about budgeting and about money spending and changed a lot of my money beliefs. Even before I went into coaching and learned about money beliefs, um, they really shifted through what he taught me. And so, and same with me, like I kind of, I think I taught him a lot more about scheduling and organizing. So I think just using your, each of your strengths. So it's not my strength to remember that we need to pay bills on time. That's not one of my strengths. So he has a budget, he has a a whole spreadsheet and he pays everything on time. So I just know that that I love to cook cook dinner. So I'm like, I love cooking. That's, that's something I enjoy. So that's going to be something I do. So it doesn't have to be, you know, equal, like everybody's doing everything all of the time, but kind of just realizing how you work together. Yes. 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 That, really that, be helpful. That, that makes sense. Oh my God. Oh, I've asked many questions. Wow. It's almost an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I really flew by. Nice. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Yeah, I, 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 I wanted to ask. 
so you, you had mentioned um, something about talking to your kids and, and having an interest in what they're having. Does that still mm-hmm. work when they're preteens and teenagers? I think it works even more. I think that it's even more important when they're preteens and teenagers. I have a teenager and a preteen, and I think it's easy to kind of like lose track of them because they're easier. They sleep through the night. Typically, (laughs) typically your teenager sleeps through the night. So you're not as worried about their physical needs, right? Like they're potty trained and they sleep through the night and they know how to get themselves food. My kids actually can cook quite a few meals by now. And so there's not as many physical needs to attend to. I don't need to be worrying about them having a tantrum so much, so much of the time anymore, although sometimes they still do. Yeah. But typically, they're kind of taken care of. Even with, um, within schooling, my kids are pretty good at doing their own thing as far as school goes as they age. So there's not a lot that I have to check in for. So it's easy for me to just be going about my day and my life and my little kids and have my older kids kind of be going about their day and living this parallel kind of existence where there's no connection happening at all. So I think it's even more important with teens to figure out how to connect with them. What are they interested in right now? What do they love right now? What's hard for them right now? Are they having a hard time with school? Are they having a hard time with friends? Like just really checking in with them and recognizing when something is wrong and being there for them and a listening ear and not getting mad at them or shaming them (laughs) if they decide to tell you tell you something that they're struggling with. Like if they sit down and they open up to you and they're like, this is something huge that happened. Not being like, that's terrible. I can't believe you did that. Be like, oh, how did that feel? Like, well, what are you thinking now? You know, like kind of guiding them through it and helping them through it, but not adding more shame to the problems that they're having. Because then they're just going to keep having their own problems and not telling you about it and living this thing. You just shut their mouths. Yeah. Then they just live this like, then they just live this lie which is so difficult for them to live too, right? Where they have this life that they're really living and then this life that they pretend like they're living at their house with you. And so um, I watched a a parenting workshop on this where a lady specifically talked about teens and she talked about when she was a teenager, her mom found out about something and her mom totally lost it on her. And so she was like, oh, okay, I can't tell my mom. She kept doing all the same things. She just didn't tell her mom about it. So it was like this wedge in their relationship that lasted into adulthood where they didn't really know each other. And she said, that's, that's, that's part of that being that safe space for them is that no matter what path they decide to go on, even if it's not the path that we expect them to be on or we want them to be on, that they know that we still love them and that we're always there for them, which can be really hard for us to let go of that control, right? We're teaching them to be potty trained and to sleep through the night and to do all these things. And we have so much control when they're younger, but then they turn into these little humans, these little tiny adults, right? Like a teenager is just a young adult. They're learning all of this stuff. Their brains are going crazy, all these chemicals and hormones going on, right? And their brain's developing and they're just trying to figure it out. And we want to be there to help and support and encourage them and not to be there to add more shame to what they're already feeling and dealing with. Wow. I I, I get, do I? I get the part about like not telling your, your, your parents stuff. Uh, because mm-hmm. yeah, I not. And it was not the last week when I, and I told her I was disappointed at that. I was officially disappointed at, at that. I took um, a telecom course. That I had zero idea, like zero interest in just ah, mm-hmm. what a hassle. And and it did not help that I, I of course left home at sixteen and I only saw you like only at Christmas. So that clearly did not help out. And mm-hmm. so we only had like conversations on maybe Skype or Zoom or WhatsApp. So I, I think at some point we sort of like diverged 
because it's not yeah. until, until recently where I was like, well, she's a human being. I cannot, I cannot expect her to like dub, uh, like to, what was the exact word I use? I cannot expect you to um, change your entire life for my convenience. I mean, you're my mom, but you're a person as well. Like now I'm older and now I'm like, well, she's also a person. She's not just mom. She's also Elizabeth. Yeah. Like, I cannot, I cannot expect Elizabeth to be mom all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, I can't expect you to like change your, your entire life to accommodate me without like factoring that you are still an adult, you're still your own individual. On the other hand, yeah. I'm kind of disappointed that you did not like follow up a lot more strongly to ask how I was mm-hmm. doing. Oh, that would, yeah. I would have told you either, but still, you could have followed up. Yeah, I think that um, it's super important for us not to lose ourselves in motherhood, to do things on our own, to figure out our own hobbies, our own interests, our own likes, our own dislikes. Because people often say, like, I don't even know what I like anymore. I don't know anything about being, except being a mom. So I think it's important to keep that part of ourselves, keep learning, keep growing, keep doing things. I always tell people, I always tell my clients to find something that sparks joy. So what is it in your life that used to spark joy before you had kids? Did you love watercolor painting or Taekwondo or rowing boats? Like what what did you love? Start implementing that again. Start learning again. What were you interested in learning? Start to kind of get that spark again. And I think maintaining that. But it's also that and a balance of maintaining the connection that you have with your kids. Because if you need that connection, right? If it's like that spark or that fire that I want in between me and them and I want that connection with them, then I need to be close enough with them for them to feel it. So even if we're not physically together, like what you said, not being there together, just checking up on them, maybe sending them handwritten letters, maybe sending them care packages, maybe um, calling them regularly so that they know that you're there, listening to them and making that time really dedicated and devoted to them. So I think that there's things that you can definitely do to stay connected. Um, with them even when they're when they're not close. But I think just having that connection and building that connection the whole time from like zero to 20. And then by the time they do kind of become an adult and self-identify, then you can kind of be that, not necessarily a peer, but more of an equal for them. So they can still call and complain about things um, and you can still give them advice when they ask for it, but it's just a shift in um, the relationship. Uh, I think if I, if I've existed all my questions. <laughs> Any any tip, any advice, or any misconceptions that you sort of want to address about parenting? I think the major misconception about positive parenting, or because it's sometimes called attachment-based parenting, is that it's the kind of people that have to like wear their babies on their back all day, sleep with their babies all of the time, never have their babies gone, right? Like they think of this like attachment as in like you have to be attached to me. <laughs> oh and that's God. not at all what attachment-based parenting is. Attachment-based parenting is... You work on that connection and you have that attachment emotionally with them so that they can go off onto the world and do their own thing and be securely attached to you. So they can be out there and then they can come back and then they can be out there and then they can come back. And while they're out there, that even if you know a bully comes and starts picking on them or even if they go through a lot of difficulties in life, that they'll know that they have security in you and that safe space in you. So I think that's probably the main misconception about any kind of positive, intentional, attachment-based parenting. It's so that they can thrive as teenagers and adults. And then um, I think my bit of advice would be just like what I said, like that green light, yellow light, red light. Yeah. That's super helpful. 
just like getting yourself back to like a good clean zone and a clean mindset before you decide to deal with your kids' behaviors. And if you have to deal with it, deal with it hours later or the next day. Like don't, don't bring it up and talk about it then because your child's lid is flipped. And by lid is flipped, I mean like they're in their emotional brain, just like you're in your emotional brain. And when your emotions are high, your logical and reasoning brain is low. And so not dealing with it then at all. And if it's something that really has to be dealt with for sure than doing it later yeah 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 okay oh, let's ask so um you said you work with overwhelmed moms and and other mm-hmm. other women so um if any um, mom or any woman wants to um get to know more about intentional parenting or positive parenting how can they contact you how can they work with you work with me. Okay. So I offer one-on-one coaching packages. So that would be like, you'd sign up for 12 weeks or six weeks or just one um, meeting. And you can find out more about that on my website, which is www.coachcrystal.ca and crystal is C-R-Y-S-T-A-L.ca. Um, and then I also run workshops. So I'll be running a positive parenting workshop sometime in July. Again, I run it just a couple times a year and I ran it again um, a few months ago. And then I also run monthly group coaching events. So I have a women's event coming up this week on self-confidence. And I just started an overeating program. So I'm meeting weekly with a group of women doing that. So I kind of always have something on the go, either a workshop or an online event. And then I always have at least a few spots open for individual clients. I don't meet a ton of individual clients because I focus more on group coaching and workshops. But I... um, I always leave at least a few um, appointments a week open for that. So yeah, that's how people can work with me. The cheapest way is definitely to come to my monthly group events. Those ones are only $10 Canadian and there's a lesson and a workbook. So this week we're learning about self-confidence and then there's also live coaching. So you can raise your hand on Zoom and be coached and we can coach you through your issues surrounding that topic of self-confidence. Um, I also have a freebie on my website. So if you go to my website and scroll down to the bottom and there'll be a subscribe now button. Mm-hmm. If you subscribe to my email list, then you get a copy of, it's called the self-care kit. And one, things I, one thing I noticed is that moms don't take time to care for themselves and then yeah. they're burnt out and feel like they have nothing to give. And then they're pretty much always going to be parenting in the red zone. But if they can um, find things that fill them, then it's just so much more helpful for them. So the self-care kit is a video that talks about the importance of self-care and the rhythm of self-care. Then it has um, a PDF list of ideas of self-care. It has a schedule so you can actually implement it that week. And so anyways, it's a really great freebie. And so anybody can go on there and get it. (laughs) My email list. And um, it's super helpful. Okay. All related, but you had mentioned overeating. What's that? Overeating. So it's just changing your relationship with food. So for instance, if you eat when you're overwhelmed or when you're stressed or when you're excited or um, it's binge eating, like any kind of negative relationship with food. So it's called stop overeating with love. So it's really focusing on, I love where I'm at. I love my body. I love who I am right now. And then like figuring out your path to change and not making some huge, crazy, drastic change that isn't going to be sustainable, but what's a small change I can make over the next six weeks. So I just started that program last night was our first meeting and, um, we meet for six weeks and talk all about, all about the food issues. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's really fun. Congrats. Yeah. Oh, um, I I think I wish I I I had had something of that sort. Um, because I used to have an eating problem, but I was sort of too, um, ashamed to go to a therapist mm-hmm. to talk to anyone so i just had google mm-hmm. to help me out <laughs> 
black and so lots much of shame when it comes to food. Like, yeah. Everybody that I talked to last night, like shame was always part of their story. Yeah, always. Like, it's, it's not that easy. Yeah. And like, then the shame cycle is just going to create more shame, right? So when you're feeling shame, you're just going to eat more. You're just going to have a more negative relationship with food. Yes. So it's all about changing, changing that relationship for people. Um, anyways, it's going to be, it's going to be super fun. We, I, we've only done it once so far and it already was great. So people can watch, um, the recordings after. So if they miss a class, then they can just go through the class and do it on oh. their own. And there's workbooks, but yeah, I'm always running some sort of a workshop. So before this was a business workshop, um, and talked all about social media and building your business. And then I had a parenting workshop and then I have an overeating workshop. So I'm always kind of rotating through what workshop I'm offering and then doing monthly group coaching and then a few, um, clients. Oh, you're busy. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah, I know. I I like how you have like everything in order and and how you serve like, um, you have your monthly, um, um, workshops and your, and your group coaching and all of that. And then you still have like little slots for the more one-on-one thing. I like how organized you are basically. Nice. Yeah, it's it's really great because some people really want that but can't afford it or some people want it but aren't sure if they really are interested in coaching. So it's kind of a good way for them to like just test it out and see what they like and what they need. And then once they've done a group program, then they can kind of figure out like, okay, is this something I can do on my own? Am I getting enough traction or do I need that um, deeper in-depth kind of relationship with the coach where I'm meeting with them and talking about my specific issues because I meet with people for an hour and I give them homework after that. So they'll have like a list of their notes and then some homework to implement that week and then we'll meet each week. And they also can reach out to me and contact me throughout the week. So I'll often send them voice memos as they're dealing with, you know, difficult things that come up. So yeah, I really like, I like offering all of it. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice having you here. Let's learn about parenting, which is interesting because um, the interview before this was about infertility. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. And so it's like you've just gone from learning about how someone struggled with infertility for two years to learn about parenting. Yeah. Yeah. I, both are so needed. I think that I don't have issues with infertility, but I have uh, family members that do. And it's been such a huge struggle for them. And I think hearing yeah. other people's stories is so helpful. And it's just like in parenting, right? When we think we're the only ones struggling, then we feel so isolated. But hearing other people's stories is just so helpful. That's what I love about group coaching because we come to it thinking we're the only ones that think that we're struggling. And then we leave knowing, oh no, everybody's struggling. Like yes. I'm not the the only one and I, I just love that part of it it's just so great oh, it's nice having you here oh my God. thank you so much yeah it was so fun thank yeah. you I really enjoyed it now 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 I'm gonna have a very awkward conversation with my mom right now you're like so I had a podcast <laughs> guest about parenting here are a few things I noted I use we need to work on right now you should go listen to this podcast no 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 remember it starts with you starts with you and then people around you change i'm going to bring up the red light no no no. i'm going to bring up the the, all the assumptions you have like here's a here's a pdf yes feel this write down all your assumptions read all of this yeah it's gonna be the most awkward call ever i'm looking forward to it Oh my god, it's nice having you here. Oh my god, thanks so much for coming. Thank you.
so much, Abby. It was awesome.